If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, we're going to take a look at chapter 19. It's been a few years since we've been in this particular chapter. We start a new series today, but have you ever felt like you are alone in this world? Sure, you have God in your, your, your times of prayer that you get alone with God, but have you ever heard your saying, God, I feel so alone sometimes? We can feel alone at work, even though we're around people. We can feel alone at home, wherever we spend our time. So should we just buck up, tough up, get going? Just this is how it's going to be? Or is there guidance for us in the Word of God to help us with that? Today we're going to start looking at two great men of God. Both of them are great men. And both faced a great threat. And each went in a different direction. One felt alone and weak. The other went with power and confidence. As I was looking at these, these men, I saw that there were, there was a major difference in their lives. And I think it contributed a great deal to the direction that they went. We're going to begin a series looking at, we called it this, your support team. That there are people in your life that you can have as support. How do you develop them? Is God responsible to just send them to you? And then they just, they just show up and are there? Do you have a role? If you've been through a really tough time and you didn't seem to have any support, is that God's fault? Is that other people in your life's fault? Is it your fault? How do you change it? If you don't know what the cause is, you can't change the outcome. So we've got to find out what is the cause for this. Why is it that when I'm going through some tough times, I feel alone? Regardless of the, how many people are in your lives that can be support, you don't have to feel alone. And no matter how many people are in your lives that are there to support you, you can still feel alone. So we're going to take a look at this. The first one we're going to take a look at, the main one, is in 1 Kings 19. As we look at Elijah. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Now the story they're referring to, of course, if you want to go back in the 17 and 18 and take a look at the story altogether... Feel free to go ahead. But uh, right now we're just looking at 19. This is the story where Elijah came and he called for everybody to, at the end of the, the uh, drought. Come on, let's all go together. If Baal's God, let's serve him. If God's God, let's serve him. Let's figure out who's God. And so they go on the mountain and they have the challenge. Whoever brings down fire upon the, the mountain, he's God. And we, didn't, we uh, spent some time looking at this when we went through the, the uh, office of the prophet. And some of the things that the prophet can do in, in that ministry that God has given them. So we're not going to spend too much time on, on building all that up. It was just last year, I believe it was. You can always go back. If you have if you need to find that, just let me know. I'll help you to go back there and to, and to get that. But of course they accepted a challenge about fire coming down. And they must have felt confident that they could do it. I believe they felt confident because they had done it. And all of a sudden they can't. 
because of the presence of Elijah. And he was uh, able to withhold, hold that back. This is not the only time that you'll see that. And if you go back and look at our little series we did on the prophet, you'll, you'll see how that was uh, that encountered other times. But afterwards, Ahab goes on home and he tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now, it seemed to me that Elijah wasn't the only one doing things when we uh, remember the story. Didn't God do a few things? I don't know if he didn't refer to what God did, if he just left it out, or if he attributed everything that happened to Elijah. We're not going to know that from the text here. But Jezebel picks up in verse 2. And she sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she sends a threat over to Elijah. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Of course, you know that if he really wanted to die, he could have just stayed there. Someone said they were more than happy to take care of that with him. Now, there's a reason why Jezebel sends the messenger and doesn't send an executioner. Because right now, he is very popular. He has just had this great miracle. They've never seen anything like this happen. He was so popular when he says, kill all the prophets of Baal, they did. He is riding a big wave of popularity. When all those people went home, they went home and they told about what Elijah did and what God did and what the, this is the most spectacular thing I've ever seen happen. Fire came down from heaven. I've never seen fire burn up stones before, but it burned up the stones. It burned up everything. And so that just spread like wildfire. And Jezebel knows if I come against him, I come against the people. I have to wait. Because after a while, people are fickle. And they'll get mad at you. You remember Jesus came in on a triumphal entry entry into Jerusalem. And a week later, they're shouting, crucify him. People are fickle. You can change their minds. So she's just wanting him to know she's going to work this way or maybe we can just scare him. She's hoping to scare him. And she succeeded. So when he saw that Jezebel was going to kill him, He ran off. Now, when you see Jezebel's threat, you will understand this. Not everyone enjoys the miracles of God. That may come as a surprise to you. (laughs) Because you may see the miracles that God does. You may see people get healed of cancer. You may see people get healed of uh, blindness. Or the lame get up and walk. And you may be surprised, why isn't everybody excited about this? Why is everybody trying to pick this apart? Why don't we just enjoy that God did a great miracle? But they don't. Just as as with Jezebel and others, not everyone enjoys the things that God does. Some people get very mad that God came on down and, and did this. You saw in Jesus' ministry, how upset were the Pharisees when they saw the work of God? They didn't like the miracles that was that were going on. Now sometimes we treat threats as if they are weapons. A threat 
is not a weapon. It is not. It's a threat. It is not a not a weapon. How many saw that movie, the uh, the the new remake of Mary Poppins? I enjoyed that one. I I thought that was that was fun. My we were had some discussion about this at, at home because the first Mary Poppins has songs that you can sing to. I mean, if you saw the first Mary Poppins, some of those songs, they kind of go around your head, kind of singing to them. The second Mary Poppins, you can't sing to them as well. But that didn't stop me from liking them because they have that one song on there. I mean, I could never sing it in my entire life. I think if I practiced for a month, I still couldn't sing it. And these folks get up there on stage and they rattle this thing off like it's nothing. But how many saw the, the, the part of the movie or heard the, 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 the song, the cover is not the book? That was my favorite song out of the whole one. And how they rattled all that off. This song was very wordy, but they just rattled it off. But the whole idea was you can't look at a book and see the cover and know what's inside the book. You got to read the book to know what's in the book. You can't just look at the cover. The cover, it's not the book. You got to get into the book. The threat is not the weapon. It's just a threat. There's maybe absolutely no content in that threat at all. But he treats the threat as a threat. Now, a lot of times we we do that today. We have things that are threatened and we respond to the threat. If we have responded to a threat, don't get all upset, higher, mighty than than Elijah because we have sometimes done the same thing. We've responded to a threat. No one actually did anything. It's just a threat. So this is what he's facing. He's he's facing a threat. Really, if she was serious about it, you don't send a messenger. You send an executioner. You don't warn somebody, I'm coming to kill you. You don't give them warning. You just go over there and you do it. That's all. I heard there was a... I think I heard the story right. I think there was a senator... Who got a threat that, um, uh, he was a, a senator from Florida and they don't like some of the things that are going on. And so he said, uh, I think he said it was Portland or Oregon, came from, from one of those places. And he said, they put out a contract on you and I picked it up. Have a good day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a threat. Apparently that person came into Washington and, uh, the police suggested that he be picked up and uh, they decided not to. I don't know. I think people said something like that. Normally it would be considered a threat. But here we have it. All we have is a threat. There is no attempt made on his life. <clears throat> now just because I have been bold in the past doesn't mean I always will be. How many people have, can say in your past, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your, <clears throat> in your past you've been very bold for the things of God. That doesn't mean you will always be bold. There may be something that hits you funny and all of a sudden you're not ready. The disciples were all ready to die for Jesus, but then in the garden something happened and they weren't. They all dispersed. They all ran. How is it that they came that they were ready to die at one point and then all of a sudden they were not? 
Well, things had changed. They were ready to die if Jesus was going to take on the Roman Empire. But all of a sudden, they saw Jesus surrendering, surrendering to the Roman Empire. They didn't, they didn't expect that. Sometimes our expectations change this. Elijah may have had some expectations. His expectation when this was going on is, first off, the message is going to be heard. And they're going to see the miracles. They're going to see what God does. And that's going to impact people. People are going to repent. The nation would repent. Once the nation repents, Ahab would repent. Ahab Ahab would make a stand. But it didn't quite go out the way that he thought it would. When God commands things, just understand they stand apart from your expectations. You may expect things to happen a certain way. That does not mean that it changes anything about God's command. When God commanded the children of Israel to go to the Red Sea, led them that way, their expectation was, we're home free. They didn't expect the army to be coming up behind them. Don't let your expectations get in the way. Because it will, it will change you. It will set you up for discouragement. Now, I put this in your outline for you. When we get discouraged, feel alone and isolated, we can become a couple of things. Probably more things than just I gave you here in this list, but I'm going to give you four main ones. <clears throat> First off, when we get discouraged, when we feel alone, and you're not, most people that feel alone are also discouraged, isolated. First thing we can feel is hopeless. We feel hopeless. I don't feel like I'm I'm going anywhere. I don't feel like this is going to change. I feel like the situation I'm in is the situation I'm going to be in. We feel hopeless. Secondly, we become works-oriented. Because I'm in despair. I feel like God hasn't shown up. I need to do something. And we become works-oriented. Instead of faith-oriented, we become works-oriented. Third, we become victimized. I feel like I am subject to my circumstances. I don't control my circumstances. Things are happening to me. And I become a victim. And lastly, I feel trapped. Most people that are discouraged, most people that feel alone, most people that feel isolated also feel like they are trapped. I don't know how to change this. I don't know how to get out. And it just kind of piles on. These are some of the things that Elijah, a very powerful man of God, with a very powerful calling, with a very powerful God behind him, whom has worked through him numerous times, who has spoken to him numerous times and has told him some things to do. And they came about. Is our discouragement, is Elijah's discouragement, God's fault? If we become discouraged, is it God's fault? Now, most people will say no. But they don't live that way. They don't think that way. I say no because I know that's the right answer. 
How many times do we give the right answer when we don't think it? Did you ever do that in school? Give the right answer. I know they want this answer, but I think that's wrong. I know I did it. I didn't just do it in, in secular school. I did it at Rhema. I did it at Rhema. They had a class that was going on, eschatology, end times. And I was so mad sitting in that class. Oh, I mean, I just get fire mad teaching this stuff. Because I knew what they were teaching was not right. I knew it. I'm just a peon student. And they would be teaching things. Jesus taught. Jesus did not teach that. He did not. But they taught it to us that he did. And Brother Hagin would get up there and say, I taught eschatology end times for 50 years and I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. Now, at the time, I did not believe that. I started out believing that way. But I shot so many holes through the theory of tribulation, uh, Jesus coming before the tribulation, a rapture before the tribulation. I shot so many holes in it and no one could answer. I went through the King's College a Baptist college. There was not a soul on the campus who could argue with me and stand. I shot every one of them down. Professors, students, it didn't matter. I shot everyone. I was a real good arguer then. Don't try and be a good arguer. It's not good. But I was a real good arguer. And I argued them all under the table. And by the time I was done, they weren't sure when Jesus was coming or he was even coming at all. <laughs> It wasn't until uh, the church I was at, somebody, uh, the pastor I was at at the church, he didn't teach on it when I was there, but after I left, he spent a whole time on, on the series. And somebody knew about my, my beliefs on this, so they, uh, they bought the series and sent it up to me. I listened to it, and for the first time, I heard somebody teaching a pre-rapture theory who asked the same questions I did. First time in my life. I found somebody who asked the same questions that I did and had answers for them. And after the first two, I said, ah, all right, now we're getting somewhere. And I was able to switch my belief because as long as I know that this is right, I go, I'll go with it. I'll switch it in a second as long as I know that it's right. And I switched it and never switched back. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus Christ is coming before the, before the tribulation. And I'll argue anybody under the table better than I did before. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced of it. But you see, in that class, they, uh, see, I went through Raymond the first year. I was so disappointed how unscholarly it was. Unscholarly. It just, I mean, it was, I just was shaking my head. You gotta be kidding me. These are the questions you ask us? They gave us New Testament, Old Testament survey. I had, I was so far advanced on Old Testament, New Testament survey when I went to college that out of 350 people that they tested to see who can be, who can opt out of the class, out of 350 students, all, most of which went to Christian college, only seven passed it. They would ask you questions like Jeremiah in chapter 29 said this. Those kind of questions. You had to, you had to know, uh, get a good idea. Well, in this section of Jeremiah, he's talking about this. And you can answer the question. You have to know, you have to have the whole Bible memorized, but you had to know that. Out of the seven, I was the only one who didn't go to private school. I was the only one who went to public school. Out of the seven, I was the only one who opted to get out of the early classes. So I got out of them. Went to Rhema, 
I expected the same treatment. And they didn't give it to me. I think I even asked somebody, you know, um, I, I opted out. I didn't have to take these in the Christian college. Well, that's okay. That's, that's not how we do it. Fine. If you're going to make me take it, I'm going to get 100% A on this thing. And I did. I went through both their classes, Old Testament, Old New Testament survey, 100% A in, in both of it. Uh, but it didn't even challenge me. Most of their courses didn't even challenge me. I was kind of bored in a lot of them. So eschatology came up, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm getting mad. And I put my pen up. I'm not taking notes anymore. I know where they're going. And the cameraman, for some reason, they lost their cameraman, and they wanted to take video of this, so they had a video. This is his first year going through the, the course. And they wanted a video of that, so I said, I'll do it. So I'm back up there, and I volunteered to videotape the, the, the whole thing. Didn't take a, a single note in the whole class. Just uh, tried to tune it out as much as I could. I just didn't want to hear it because it just aggravated me. And when, they, when the questions came, I put on the question what they wanted to hear. Now, one time I didn't do that. There was one uh, person, one professor, and he was teaching in class, true or false. And true or false, he said, Paul, in the book of Hebrews, in such and such a chapter, said this. I said, false. And he marked it wrong. And so I went up to him. I didn't ever challenge anything, but I challenged this one. I went up to him afterwards, and I said, you marked this question wrong. And he said, well, that's, that is wrong. Paul did say that. I said, I don't believe that Paul wrote the book. He said, well, I believe that he did. Great. This is a true or false. <laughs> Has nothing to do with your beliefs. Uh-huh. And, he's, and he wouldn't take that. So uh, I got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Raymond was not all, uh, all glitz and glory. There was, a, there was some... Um, they just they just weren't very challenging, and you just had to kind of go through the the thing. Um, I think they're still about that the same way, but uh, I love Brother Hagen's classes. Brother Hagen's classes were were good. They weren't challenging on the test, but I loved being underneath the on and listening to the things he was teaching us. It was it was worth it for getting him all the days of the week that we we did. And there was a few professors <coughs> that. Um, they were looking to challenge challenge you and to teach you things. But you all know, you can have that mentality, I'm just going to put the right answer down. I'm just going to say the right answer. I know it's the right answer. God didn't have anything to do with my discouragement. But I don't believe that. I'll say it. But I think it's his fault. Why didn't God deliver me? Why didn't God have people respond the way that they should have responded? Why did this come back on me when I had been living the way that I'm supposed to be living? Why, when I stood for the word, doesn't it seem that God stood for me? And we ask these questions, and you know where those questions come from. They either come from your flesh or they come from the pit of hell. He's trying to get you to question your God. Get you to question His his uh, love for you. Does God really love you? I know he says so. But does he really? Is our discouragement God's fault? If you say, well, it's not, could you tell that from your prayers? When you're praying, if you just got out there and you just listened to your own prayers, could you tell from your prayers that God is not at fault? 
Why, God, did you let this happen to me? Hmm. Seems like you're thinking it's God's fault. If you see God's hand behind the thing, it will change how you respond to it. This is kind of how Elijah is going. Verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went on the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Oreb in the mountain of God. How many want some of that food? And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, this is basically a gripe prayer. He's griping. Griping is very self-centered. You will have a hard time griping and not be self-centered. You try it. Try and be a person who gripes and not be self-centered. All you're looking at when you go off and you gripe is what you're going through. How hard it is for you. How bad it is for you. What you don't have. What others have. It's griping. Very self-centered. God asked him a very simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know. For me, the obvious answer to this question is, you led me here. But he doesn't answer that. He answers this way. And we've taken time before. We'll take time again, though. Take a look at what he says. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Does this not sound like someone who is telling God what is going on because God doesn't know? Can you read that without understanding from it that Elijah is informing God what's happening down here on the earth? Apparently God is not aware of what has occurred. So I need to tell him. I need to let him know. So I summarize his griping this way. I have worked hard. I've been very zealous for the Lord. I have endured much. I have stood alone. I have been wronged. I am finished. That's basically what he's saying. I've worked hard down here. People, they have been coming after me. No one else is standing with me. I am the only guy here in this nation on your side. I alone am left. They've killed your prophets. They haven't gotten to me yet, but they've killed your prophets. They're trying to kill me. 
I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. I'm the last God you got. And now they're trying to take me out. What are you going to do now, God? I'm all you got. I am it. And doggone if I'm not a pretty good one to have too. Then he said, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and be, the, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. How many have ever seen wind that just broke, broke up rocks? That's got to be some kind of wind. Then an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if you get asked a second a question a second time, how many would realize I didn't answer what they were asking for? I answered something else. What? are you doing here, Elijah? And he just rattled off that whole speech. And then God has the nerve to ask him again. Now, think. put yourself in Elijah's position. If you have somebody in your life and they ask you a question right after they just asked it to you, and after you gave a nice, long, and involved answer, how many... If you view this person as your superior, would say, I know you just asked me that and I gave you an answer. Apparently that wasn't right. I'm not understanding the question. If you don't view him as your superior, you view him as someone outside of what is going on, you might get frustrated and say a little louder what you said the first time. Can you see the attitude that Elijah has right now? He's not looking at God as God. Not a God who's involved in his life. Not a God who's helping him. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Now, how many like to watch crime shows? What happens if they take, if the police take the two suspects into two different rooms and ask them the same question and they get verbatim the same answer? What do they always say? Come on, you've watched the crime shows, you know, you have it down, you have it down by heart. You know, if Gibbs was in the room, what he would say. You know, if the guy from Blue Bloods is in the room, Danny, you know what he would say? Come on, you know it, right? It is, the answer is, rehearsed. They have rehearsed it. Elijah has rehearsed this answer. He is ready for this question from God. He's had 40 days to get here. He's been thinking about this for 40 days. He's been getting mad at God. God, I showed up on that mountain. I was the only one who showed up at that mountain. No one else showed up. 
and you're not here helping me out? I have been very zealous for the Lord. And he began to, to formulate this answer. So when God asks the question, he's ready. He, he spits it out exactly the same twice. You see, it's recorded so that we see this. Two times he's asked the question. Two times he gives exactly the same answer. The only reason you give the answer exactly the same way is because you don't think the person heard you. Isn't that right? You're thinking, God didn't hear me. Well, God's not been paying attention to me. It's not no surprise he didn't hear me. He's been paying attention to me all this time. I'm in this on my own. Can you see all this feeling that is brewing up inside of Elijah? What are you doing here? Are you, I, I basically summarized the question this way. I think I left it in your outline for you. Are you aware of the factors that brought you into this place? Are you aware of what has gone on to bring you to this place where you are at now? Elijah's answers are external factors. Everything is external. I have been very zealous for the Lord. That's what I have done. Because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That's what they have done. Torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. Again, what they had done. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. This is all external. But the factors that bring us to a point of depression. The factors that bring us to the point of loneliness. The factors that bring us to a place of feeling alone. Where we can't stand up to the attacks of the enemy. Are internal. God is trying to get him to see what's going on in the inside and he's trying to get God to see what's going on on the outside. God basically says, I know what's going on on the outside. I also know what's going on on the inside. Do you know what's going on on the inside? Because I don't think you do. See, right now, Elijah is backing down to people in authority. He's backing down to kings and queens. And God can't have that. He needs Elijah to stand up to not just people. He needs Elijah to stand up to kings and queens. Because Elijah, as important as his ministry is to the northern tribes of Israel and bringing the gospel message to them and the word of God to them, as important as that is, the most important thing that Elijah is doing right now is being trained. Regardless of what happens to Elijah during his days in Israel, while Ahab is king, regardless of what happens there, it's important that he be trained. Because Elijah, we know, is one of the two witnesses coming back. There's speculation on the second. I'm pretty sure the second one is Moses. I could prove it to you. But we're not going to get into that right now. But we know Elijah is one. Without a shadow of a doubt, Elijah is one of them. When Elijah comes back and for those three and a half years when he is a witness for God, he will come against multiple kings and queens. He will come against multiple forces coming against him and he will come against the people of Israel even coming against him. And God is looking at this and saying, I need you to train yourself up where this doesn't bother you. No matter what is going on externally, it doesn't bother you internally. Regardless of what happens here, this nation I know, they're not coming back. 
But I'm looking down the road and I need you ready. I need you prepared. Do you understand the factors that brought you to this place? Because I need you to get trained. I need you to know what's going on. Because in the future, I need you to stand up and not run off. You can't be going off to some cave. You can't be hiding because you're afraid somebody made a threat. Jezebel is nothing compared to the end. I need you ready. And point two, understand that Moses, he faced kings and Pharaoh and their threats and also Israel's. And then he went up against kings in battles and won. It was a training ground and got him ready for what's coming. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Basically, God is saying this. You are not alone. You can be replaced. I'll replace you right now. In fact, you know what? Going out there, anoint Elisha. He's going to take your place. Go out there and do it. Anoint Elisha. He's going to take your place. You know, out of the three things that Elijah was told to do, he did one of them. Guess which one? Went right out and did it right away. He anointed his replacement. I went out of this. (laughs) He went out and anointed his replacement. His replacement had to go and anoint Jehu. And his replacement had to go and anoint Hazael. Elisha did that, not Elijah. God told him to do it. Now notice, this is how God fixed people that are depressed. This is how God helped fix people who were alone. He said, get out of here and go get busy. (coughs) Most people that are fighting depression stay at home by themselves. That is not the way that you get out of it. He said, get out there and get busy. Why are you here? But you are not alone. You can be replaced. I believe I left this in your outline for you. To remain in faith is not a matter of personal greatness. Elijah was a person of greatness in that nation. Everyone knew about Elijah. But that did not keep him in a place of faith. He fell off of it. To remain in faith is not a matter of personal greatness. It is one of personal understanding. Remember when you started off the Joseph series. There are four levels of understanding. It's important that we understand those. There's a flesh level. I know what Scripture states. We saw this with Jesus' ministry and the Pharisees. They could quote what the Scripture stated. They didn't know what it meant. There's a mind or soul. We see the concept Scripture is teaching. I reason it out. But I'm missing the full picture. We need to get into the other areas. 
the wisdom level. The Holy Spirit shows me how to live what I understand. He gives me understanding, the right understanding, and shows me how to live it out. In the revelation level, the Holy Spirit opens up my eyes to see more. That's where we need to get an understanding. Anything less will cause you to have less than the reaction, the response, the direction that you're supposed to do. It's imperative that we press in. Verse 19, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father my mother, and then I will follow you. He said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Talk about burning bridges. Well, there's more we could talk about with Elijah, Elisha with that, but we'd uh, get away from our, our purpose here. God gave him things to do, but Elijah had to go and do them. Now, from this point, you will see that Elijah got involved, back involved in ministry. We never hear anything more about Jezebel. He goes right back into the same country and he begins to minister. And apparently, Jezebel was not a threat. She doesn't show her face to try and take him out. He just goes about and does what he needs to do. See, that threat never kind of, never materialized the way, the way that they were looking at it. The way that he envisioned it. Don't back down because of threats. Trust your God. In 2 Kings 19, I'm just going to read a few verses here. We're not going to get into the entire story. But Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of a messenger and he read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel and one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You will, I'm sorry. Yep, you are, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. This is, this is uh, what he is praying. This is his prayer after he got a very threatening letter. Very threatening letter from the king of Assyria. And, for most people, it would have instilled fear. This was not an upset queen. This was a man who was a king, actually the uh, leader of the army, sent a letter. Don't you think your God is going to deliver you? We've come up against other nations. And they thought their gods would deliver them. And we burned their gods. Don't you think that your God is any different? We're coming up there. We're going to destroy you guys. And so he took that letter and that's the letter he spread before the Lord. And instead of griping, he says, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. 
Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Now, I summarize what he's saying here in this way. First off, God is God. No matter what the threat is, God is God. They used to do a song down there at Raymond. Go up there on YouTube and look it up. God is God. A great song. Great song. God is God. And always will be God. Secondly, God is reproached. Not me. God is reproached. Third, God is not dead. Other gods, they're dead. Our God, He's not dead. God is our Savior. He's the one who saves us. God is to be known. God wants to make His presence known. He wants the world to know that He is different from any other God. God is to be known. And last, God is not finished. Now, Elijah is basically finished. I'm done. I'm ready to get out of here. Just let me die. Hezekiah says, no one's dying today. God is not finished. It may not look real good outside. It may look like we've been losing this war. But God is not finished. So as I begin to think about these two men, I notice something. There is a major difference in the way these two handle the threat against them. First off, Hezekiah, he had support. Hezekiah had Isaiah the prophet. And in fact, when he gets that letter, he sends messengers to Isaiah. Hey, check this out. And Isaiah gets the word from God and sends it to him. You can read the rest of the chapter. You can find out about, about all that. And he gets a word from, from Isaiah. And it's a good one. Hey, you've responded well. And he did. He didn't distrust God. He didn't get upset with God. He didn't blame God. He said, this is what these people want to come and do. They're not coming here and doing it. He stayed in faith. But he had a prophet that he leaned on. He had people in his administration that he leaned on. These are people of faith. These are people who came together. And here's another one. We didn't get to... I didn't, I didn't put him in there. But you remember Jehoshaphat? You remember when they, the great army, huge army was coming against him? And they got word they're coming. They are coming. And he says, uh, we need to seek after God. And they sought after God and the prophet came in. The prophet said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what God says. He said, you just stand back. I'm fighting this one for you. And so you remember, remember it wasn't too long ago we went through and we, we looked at all this back when we were looking at the prophets. The prophet had come and gave them something to do. And we saw that the prophet did not tell them to put the praisers in front of the army. They came together and his, his people and he decided this is what we ought to do. We could do this and that would show that we believe what God said. And so that's what they did. 
but he had support team. Who's Elijah got? Who's Elijah's support team? Well, he had a servant, but he left them. Now, when he tries to leave Elisha, what's Elisha say? Uh-uh. You're not leaving me nowhere. I'm staying right here with you. But he had a servant. Apparently was not in the, anywhere near what Elisha was. And he left him. He's out there by himself. When he's talking to God, who's he, who's he telling God that he has? No one. I got no one. I am alone. All the other ones have been killed. I'm the only one left. He's alone. The difference between the man who fell into depression and wanted to die and the ones who stood up in faith and said, God is going to deliver us. The difference is their support team. We need to develop our own support team. I need to have people out there that are on my support team. External elements and events can influence our internals. Things will happen in this world. People will say things. People will do things. And it can get you disrupted. How many have ever been threatened by somebody and it just disrupts you? I mean, down the inside, you just feel it. Huh. Maybe they threaten you at work. If you don't do that, you're going to lose your job. Oh, you just feel that disruption. When we were in school, how many in school remembered kids making threats against each other? You know, I was was the smallest kid in school. I don't know that there was anyone smaller. Probably not. I was was small. I was thin. I may have had some some length. I may have had some height. But I was thin as a rail. My mom used to tell me, she just went away, but she'll come back out. You ask her on the way out. She'll verify it. Steve, you are so thin, the wind's going to blow you away. And sure enough, just like it was prophesied, I went out the door one day to go to school, took hold of the handle and and started out the door, and the wind caught hold of the door. Have you ever had that wind catch hold of the door? And it just took that door. Well, I was attached to it at the time. And I went flying. Sure enough, the wind took me, blew me out there. Because <laughs> I, I was, I was light. You all think, well, you're not heavy now. I know it. I just had a weigh-in yesterday. Weigh-in about once a week. I was 148. That's all right. That's a, I like being that way. But when I was in, in school, I was in the football team until um, the last year of junior high. The last year of junior high, you had to be on the varsity squad. In order to be in the varsity squad, it was called, they didn't call it varsity squad, they called it the 100-pound team. Because in ninth grade, you were expected to weigh 100 pounds. I didn't. I did not weigh 100 pounds in ninth grade. And so I went out for the wrestling team. Since I couldn't go out for football, I went out for the wrestling team. Now the wrestling team, you know, they have different weights there. And so, Every time in wrestling, I don't know if you've ever seen this, I saw this firsthand, but guys are always trying to uh, starve themselves, not drink any fluids, run up by the pool, the upper areas of the pool, 
because it's real hot up there, and they put on these sweatsuits, and they would just, I mean, not, not sweatsuits like in cotton, sweatsuits like in plastic, and just run and just, just sweat it all out and then go way in. And as long as they had that weigh in and they were under, then they could wrestle at their weight. And then, you know, they may gain three, four, or five pounds after, after the weigh in. It didn't matter. You made it on the, on the weigh in, which was the day before the, the wrestling match. And so whatever weight I was wrestling, I don't even know what weight I was wrestling. Whatever it was, it's no big deal. I was in the lightest category that they had. And I never had any problem making weight. I think they just say, oh, we don't even need to weigh you in. And so I would get threats because just about everybody was bigger than I was. I had lots of threats. I know what it means to have threats and it just gets you upset and it can, it can turn you. It can, it can ruin your day. But if you have a support team, if you've got people that arise up around you, I told you the story before, my senior year in high school, I, I had a support team. And I got that support team because I tore apart a teacher in school, in class, tore them apart because they came after my God. And I wasn't very bold in, in, in class. I didn't want to raise my hand and stuff like that. I told you that story before. But when he started picking on my God, I, I, I stood up. He would not pick on my God. And I came after him. And there's a certain group of boys who did not like this teacher. They saw, they thought he was gay. I don't know if he was or not, but they just, they thought he was. And they didn't like him for that reason. And when I stood up there and said, you will not, come against my God. The next day he came on in and says, well, it seems like we lost our uh, that debate because I was me against the entire class. That's how it was. And I was okay with that. And so these uh, three or four ruffians, they were ruffians. They used to pick on me. But when they saw that, they said, anybody picks on you, they pick on us. And I had no trouble for the rest of my school time because I had a support team. So if anybody wants to make a threat, talk to my support team right over there and nobody ever made any more threats against me it was good we got to develop our support team my faith my spirit my focus the word in me my direction my intent all these things will be affected by externals if my internals are not strong I got to make sure my internals are strong and I need to have some other faith-minded people around me to help keep those internals clear, to help send me along, keep me going. You know, you can have a you can have a support team. There's a there's a support team for how many how many people have a support team for your exercise program? How many people have ex- uh, there? We go. We got a couple, couple people. And does that help? These people encourage you. They they get you to go along, and they they. Um, you know, hey, you're coming. It's tomorrow morning. It's whatever. You, you want to make sure that you're there. If you have a support team for your diet, you're staying on a, staying on a diet. Uh, you, you talk with each other. Hey, I made this recipe. It stayed within the diet. It was good. You talk with each other. You encourage each other. That support team helps you get through. Now, runners, we have a, we have a support team. Now, I was an unusual runner. I don't need a support team to get me out. I have to put the brakes on. Only run so many miles today. Only run once today. I had to put the brakes on. I don't need anybody to encourage me in that. But we would do these things called intervals. And intervals, you'd run around the track, and I don't want to give you, bore you all the details. But if you don't have people on, on there pushing you, you didn't do it nearly as well. So you have a support team. You have people that help you out. People that, 
that do that. How do you develop your Christian support team? Well, I don't really have anybody that I would say is a, a support team. And that's why you don't have one. Now, I'm going to drop this in here before you can, you can meditate on this for a little bit. When David was running from Saul, how many were on his support team? Y'all know this answer. How many? 600. 300 were the real good ones. The 300 stood out above, but he had 600. 600 in his, he had to start out with four, 200 and 400, 600 he got up to. 300 were the, you know, the famous 300 and then there was the famous 30 and then the famous three. 600. How many of those were upstanding, solid citizens? How many of them were? Anybody remember? Zero. They were all people no one wanted. He got a support team out of 600, or 600 people from folks no one wanted. How many, what could you do with a support team of 600? What could you do with a support team of 30? <laughs> That'd be alright, huh? When Paul went in to an area, what was, what was the thing that Paul would always do? He'd develop people, right? He'd develop a support team. Every time he went into a place, he would develop a support team. When he came upon Timothy, when he came, came upon Titus, when he came upon these people, were they outstanding ministers of God? They were not. How did they get to be that way? Through Paul? Paul picked up people that probably no one saw the potential in. David picked up people that no one saw the potential in. Who did Jesus get? <laughs> Was anyone on Jesus' team better than Jesus? Was anyone on Jesus' team half as good as Jesus? Was anyone on Jesus' team a quarter as good as Jesus? And yet they were his support team. We've lived under a lie that I don't have anybody for a support team. When the truth is, I just don't know how to find them, how to see them, and how to develop them. So as we get into this series, we're going to be looking at what do we do to find people to be on our support team, to support me in this? How do I develop them? And how do I keep them on my side? You would be amazed at how many things people do that have chased away their support team. We're going to look at stories in the Bible because I love seeing people who do it. We're going to look at people in the Bible and how they did this wrong and lost their support team. We're going to look at people in the Bible who did develop a support team. These are things we need because if you're going to do things for God, if you're going to stand up against what is coming, you're going to need to have a support team. You're going to need to have people think like you think. I had somebody come come to me through somebody else, but it's somebody that I, I, I knew. And they asked me about this, this virus thing. We could help them out with a, with a letter. And so uh, my first response is always, what's the church you're going to able to do? <laughs> I was so taken back by the response. <laughs> church they're going to has opened up space in their facility to administer the vaccine. They would feel it's a conflict of interest. 
Dear Lord, that's a shame. Kind of lose some of your, your support there, don't you? But we need to have a support team. We need to know how to find them. And I'm going to tell you this. God will bring every single person to you that you need. The problem is the devil's telling you lies about them. The devil's telling you where they can't be, what they aren't. And the devil has put things in your heart that you have spoken with your mouth that has driven a wedge between you and your support team. So when you get out there and you feel all alone, God is saying, I have sent you people. And the words out of your mouth have driven them away. You want to see an example of that in the Bible? Go over to King Saul. Who did God send as his support team? Who's one person that you can think of that was his best support team addition? David. And what did he do? He drove him away. This is what a lot of Christians have done. We have driven away the ones that God wants to support us. But I've driven them away because I can never, I can't even envision. How can they ever support me? How can they ever do anything to help me? I don't understand. I'm all alone in this God. And we become like Elijah. We're walking around the country and there are 7,000 people who believe just like he does. And he can't see them. He doesn't even know that they're there. We've got to get out of being Elijah. Not only that's Elijah now, that's Elijah then. We've got to get out of that mentality and get into the Paul mentality. When you come into a place, all right, who we got here? Who we got? You just get born again? Great. Let's see what you got. And he's ready to bring anybody on. So there's some things we can learn from the Word. I'm not sure exactly how many weeks we'll be in this, but uh, we'll be until God tells us that we're, we're finished. I don't expect it to be su- super long, but we want us to know how to develop the support team because you need support. How many of you all know we're facing some things here? We're facing some stuff maybe people hadn't faced before or at least faced in a different way. And I need to have some people there to support me. I need some help. And God will give you the help so that you don't go into these battles and think, I'm in this all by myself. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have put people in our life to be a support for us. And Father, you have put us here on the earth to be a support for others. Because we will need people to support us and we will need to support other people. And when we all support each other, your body gets even stronger. I thank you that you will use each and every one of us. That we can be used to be a support, to bring strength. With every head bowed, if you're here today, and you feel that the battle that you are in is a, it's been stronger than what you can face. Raise your hand. Father, I can use some support. If you're here thinking, 
I want eyes to see people like David. I want eyes to see people like Paul. I want eyes to see people like Barnabas saw people. Raise your hand. I need to see these better. And if you're here today willing to be the support for someone else, just raise your hand before God. God, I am willing. I am willing to be someone's support. Because it's all, all these things are necessary. And Father, I thank you that you help us. That you help us see people that are support. And you help us be people that are supportive. The more that we can see ourselves as being one who is supportive, the easier it is for us to find people that will support us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, glory to God. I think we had all of our announcements in the in the bulletin. Just wanted to make sure. How many people have never been here for Hallelujah Night that are planning to come? We do Hallelujah Night because we don't want you to have to sit at home and ignore the door. If the if you don't want to participate, if you go out and participate in Halloween, you know, that, that's fine, but uh, that's up to you. I, we, we don't, myself, we don't uh, participate. We don't get involved in all that sort of thing. Um, so we just come on out over here and we just have fun. And uh, this way the kids don't feel like they're missing out on anything. We, we had rented a facility for a while, but uh, some of the things that went on last year seemed to have taken that option away. So we're just going to be over here. So it is a Sunday. So we're going to start up at 5 o'clock. It's a little bit earlier. We'll go to about 7 or 8 o'clock. Uh, we're not kicking you out at any particular time. You all can stay as long as you, as you want to, but uh, kids have to get up for school, stuff like that. So if you want a place to come, we'll be having this going on next next Sunday. We have those little bite-sized candies. If you can pick up some, bring them uh, with you next Sunday, bring them with you on Wednesday, whatever it is. And um, we just like to make up some packages and give them out to the kids. A lot of times when the games, they earn these, earn these things at the games that they're doing. But that'll be me going on next Sunday. Have a great rest of your day. Bless some folks that are around you too.